0: You're listening to a podcast hosted on the Podcaster Matrix. Get your entire podcast library hosted now at PodcasterMatrix.com.
1: Why do we enjoy being scared? Why are we determined to relive the fear we endured back when we were children and the dark itself instilled us with terror? There's a saying that goes, the only thing certain in life is death and taxes. Unless, of course, you're an immortal vampire. Have you ever thought about living forever?
0: While it sounds appealing, there are a few drawbacks.
1: No reflection. No love for garlic. Only being able to work overnights. And, of course, the pesky, undeniable thirst for blood. Sharpen your stakes and polish your crucifix as we take a deep drink from the well that is the undead during this episode of Talk Talk About about Terrify. Bloodsuckers, from Two Guys Talking Horror.
0: Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls, children of all ages, to another edition of Two Guys Talking Horror. I'm one of your hosts, Nicholas J. Hearn. I am your other host, Jason Contini. And here we are, a jam-packed, full episode of Talk About Terrifying. This time we're covering Bloodsuckers, that's right, vampires. Funny enough, the one subgenre of horror
1: Jason doesn't really care for. You you had to get me on you, you were gonna do it eventually. Yep, weren't you? It was exactly. gonna happen.
0: Yep. I was going to force you to deal
1: with the vampires. To be clear, I don't dislike them. They are just my least favorite of of most horror subgenres, that's all.
0: Okay, well, you can defend your choices later, but first, (laughs) a quick bit of housekeeping. The third annual Spookies Winners Video. It's been an exciting third year of Two Guys Talking Horror Presents The Spookies. Our fans did not disappoint this time around. They got online, they went to Facebook, they went to Twitter, they went to Instagram, And they voted for their favorite picks of the highlights of horror from the year 2020. And we captured it all and presented it for you in an award-style short-ish video (laughs) that that we definitely recommend going and taking a look at. There'll be a link to it at our website at twoguystalkinghorror.com. And you can also check it out on YouTube at the Archlight Entertainment YouTube page as well. So, if you are a fan of the horror films of 2020 and you didn't get a chance to vote, definitely check the video out and make sure you join all of Two Guys Talking Horror social media accounts so that you can be a part of the 4th annual Spooky Awards. Alright, Jason, that's all I have for housekeeping. Now it is time for you... To tell our audience why vampires are your least favorite monster in the cornucopia of creatures
1: that inhabit horror i think for me it's um it's th- they tend to be not just the most overused
0: Okay, I there, can agree with that. Definitely. Well, there,
1: there could be there could be an argument made that there are two or three different subgenres that all vie for being the most overused.
0: Vampires, um, so they,
1: zombies. Vampires are certainly up there. Yeah. So yeah, aside from the fact that they are one of the most overused horror subgenres, they also tend to be, when overused, oftentimes one of the poorly used. Um, and, and by that, I mean that it seems like and, and don't get me wrong, this is going to sound like I'm I'm attacking the work of Anne Rice and I'm not. I Anne Rice, her stuff is amazing. But it's like ever since Anne Rice, it's, you know, vampires, the sexy factor and the oh, I don't know what you call it, empathetic aspect mm. has been ratcheted up i don't want to empathize with a vampire you know what made the interview series so great was that it wasn't typical it was something different that's what was interesting but vampires are still vampires so i still enjoy a good vampire film or story if the vampire is legitimately scary mm-hmm. but more often than not and i and and we can make jokes about twilight uh, till the cows come home and i, and I don't that's not <laughs> what i'm getting at but but more often than not they are often now the the misunderstood tragic monster it, it, no they they eat people essentially they're monsters. They, they're monsters, you know. And depending and I get on the tired
0: story, you can put a little bit of humanity into it. But sure, at the but end of I, the day, yeah. they're still monsters.
1: Yeah. I, I get I get really, really tired of it. And I think that's probably my hang up with vampires. You know what? I gotta agree with you.
0: I am a I am a fan of the vampire genre. I've seen a lot of great vampire movies. Oh I've sure. Seen a yeah. lot of bad vampire movies. Mm-hmm. And the one inconsistent thing is the interpretation of the quote unquote the curse uh-huh. you know is it a curse? Is it something that was uh created by the devil? Is it a blood disease? Is it something that can be cured through modern medicine what however package you wrap it in, there has to be that monster mentality because you are thirsting. For blood. Mm -hmm. And I think the best examples of great vampire stories is when they mix that humanity in, but do not overlook the monster aspect.
1: Absolutely. I mean, you know, I was, I brought up Anne Rice because I think that's, I mean, yes, you can say that the Stoker and Dracula really brought I mean, that's where the sexiness of of vampires really kind of starts. But it's it's Anne Rice's stuff that really brought it to modern century, anyway, uh, mentality of Mm -hmm. vampires. And even in that, as sympathetic as many of those characters are, even they get terrifying Mm -hmm. because they are vampires. Whether the movie is a good adaptation of the book or not, there is that scene where Louis lifts the interviewer up by the throat, and he says, "Have you not been listening?" And he bears his fat, and he's terrifying this person that we've been sympathizing with and empathizing yeah. with throughout the whole story. So, if if a vampire's story is able to do that and continue to make them scary, yeah, you can make them as empathetic as you want, but they're still the monster. I don't care if they're the protagonist of your story. They're still the monster.
0: That's where we call to the audience. Uh, What are your thoughts on the vampire genre? Do you prefer your vampires as bloodthirsty monsters that dwell within crypts and coffins? Or do you like him with the long flowing locks and maybe some sparkles? Let us know. Head on over to our website, fill out the web form, and give us your opinion on Bloodsuckers. Television.
1: Television. Tangible TV shows.
0: Castlevania the series I gotta tell you Jason when I heard that an animated series for Netflix based on Castlevania was coming I was extremely skeptical I'm like oh good we're going to screw up yet another thing that I have fond memories of as a child and on a side note just just to put a pin in our actual topic so when I say fond memories of a child, I mean grueling hours of trying to beat these fucking games. <laughs> oh my god!
1: Well, now Nick, you know I'm not a, a much of a video game person, mm-hmm. but yeah. um, but you know my brother was, and I I grew up playing Atari. I played Nintendo. I played Super Nintendo. My brother had N64, and you know he's had every system since then. I don't, I don't right. know, but um, so I, I know I played early. Castlevania games, but I don't think I played them regularly enough to remember major details. I remember enjoying them, but yeah, I probably wouldn't have that same fear of seeing the translation as you did.
0: Well, the great thing is, is that I had nothing to worry about because this animated adaptation was created by and written by, and I mean all episodes, written by the great warren ellis oh
1: whoa yes holy cow that's a wow okay
0: that that's a huge name and the thing is is that there are aspects uh especially in the earlier seasons uh that they've taken from games such as 1989's castlevania 3 dracula's curse Mm -hmm. and there are a few characters and some of the elements from uh from uh castlevania curse of darkness Uh, which I think came out in the early 2000s, somewhere like 2004, 2005, something like that. But other than that, it's just this really great anime style. Don't let the kids watch this. This is rated R, baby. Okay. Blood, guts, language, little bit of sex, little bit of nudity. All right. It's the story of Trevor Belmont, who you find out his family has been ousted Thanks to the church, Dracula feared, you know, Vlad Dracula Tepis, feared among all monsters, falls in love with a human woman. Oh, okay. A human woman. A very smart, very learned human woman who is not afraid of him. And years go by, they have a happy marriage. He's off and about, and while he's gone... The church in the nearby town decides, "Hey, uh, Dracula's wife's a witch. Let's burn her, <laughs> cause you know God will protect."
1: What do you do with witches?
0: Slow <laughs> them in the pond. If they sink, they're a witch.
1: If they float,
0: they're what fine. What also
1: floats? What are uh, a duck? A duck. A duck.
0: <laughs> a duck is a witch. <laughs>
1: That's our that's our poor uh Monty Python impression for the for this episode. Bring out your dead. Mm-hmm. I feel happy. <laughs> anyway,
0: <laughs> it doesn't go well because when Dracula finds out when he comes back and and he misses out on the opportunity to save his wife, uh he's pissed. Mm, yeah. So much to the point that he wants to wipe out humanity. Mm. I mean, it's that serious. Okay. He's gathering all of the vampire lords from around the world, and it's like, all right, so this is what we're going to do. We're going to kill every fucking human. Now, just think about that for a second. If you're a vampire, not Dracula, of course, but if you're a vampire and and your lord and master says, we're going to kill the livestock that feeds us.
1: Yeah, that's what I was just thinking, like... So not yeah, even there's... not even like cultivate a, a farm or something where you can
0: some smart vampires think
1: that Dracula wants
0: all humans okay. dead. Okay. Even the humans who work for him, they know that eventually they're going to die too. Because when Dracula says I want all humans dead, he means it. So this series premiered on Netflix July 7th, 2017. And <laughs> literally was renewed for a second season the same day that it dropped
1: oh wow okay so
0: many people were were binging it at the time that it dropped netflix oh yeah we got to keep making this and the great thing about it is short episodes i mean every season gets bigger season one was only four episodes long oh wow yeah yeah season two doubled it For eight episodes, and season three and four, ten episodes.
1: How long is each episode?
0: Half an hour, give or take. Okay. Sometimes a little bit longer, sometimes a little bit less, but usually more more or less a half an hour. Okay. If you had nothing to do on a weekend, you could totally binge this show. Sure. I have to say, it has done for the the lore and my love of castlevania because i've always felt like castlevania could have been a great film series it is very cinematic uh, especially because you have your hero you have the the village and or country and or world in peril and you have your giant fucking monster character with all his little minion monsters so it's the quest it's always the quest mm-hmm. and it seems and, and this this is the this is something that plays well into the horror genre Dracula in the Castlevania series is similar to Jason Voorhees every new game it's all about either bringing him back or he has come back and you have to kill him again okay simple premise yep you know if it ain't broke don't fix it that's right and this show not only does it have fantastic writing, fantastic animation, but the voice cast is outstanding with a, a handful of like big caliber names that oh. show up for small and not so small parts. Oh. And I'm not going to go into it because you, Jason, I know you haven't seen it yet. But damn it, I really want you to watch it cuz I think even though you're not a, you know, huge fan of the old games, you're going to get a kick out of this because this well, is I guess... monster fighting and killing and and slaying at its best.
1: Well, and I guess that was that was probably my biggest question: is that you know, someone like me who you know doesn't have that huge connection to the video games and also not generally big on vampires, mm-hmm. and you still think it'll appeal to me? I mean that oh, yeah. that, that says that says a lot about yeah.
0: it. As a matter of fact, uh, I, I almost did not use Castlevania, the animated series, in this episode for Talk About Terrifying because it was almost going to be an episode of Tune In or
1: Turn Off. Well, maybe, uh, maybe you know, folks, you're, you're hearing it here, maybe uh, I'll sit down and I'll give the show a watch and then we'll do a Tune In or Turn Off and see whether I say it is Tune In. Or turn it off. Ooh, exciting. Yeah. And as we'll, a side we'll note, about, yeah. even
0: though the show is over with its fourth season, there is rumors. Nothing has been confirmed, but there is rumors that Netflix is looking to do another series that's set in the world hmm. of Castlevania. Okay. But I want to ask everybody, are you digging Castlevania as much as I have? Have you not watched it? And what are you doing with your life if you haven't? this isn't directed to you jason it's okay it totally is you should have been watching this years ago reach out to us on all of our social media platforms that's facebook that's instagram that's twitter and let us know what you're thinking when it comes to the awesomeness that is castlevania Gaming. Gaming. Board games with pieces. Monster slaughter. Alright, so this one's kind of a cheat, because it's not just vampires. And I really couldn't think of anything new that I, myself, knew anything about purely vampire-related for either video games or tabletop gaming. So... I decided we were going to talk about one of my favorite new games that I was introduced to just a couple of years ago, Monster Slaughter. And essentially, it's flipping the script of the old 80s horror movies t- instead of being the the college kids trying to survive in the old creepy cabin in the woods.
1: College you, kids. couch yeah. kids. Them damn kids. <laughs>
0: uh, uh, now, you are... The monster trying to kill the college kids in the cabin in the woods. Oh, but wait, there's more. You're not just the monster. You're a family of monsters. You're a mommy, you're a daddy, and you're a kid. I don't want to call it baby because they're not babies. They're kids. But wait, again, (laughs) there's more. It's not just one type of monster family you're playing. It's several. This is a game for up to two to five players, and you get to play a zombie family, an alien family, a psychopath family, a werewolf family, a they call it golem family, but really it's the Frankenstein monster and his brood, a mummy family, and of course, and this is how I tie it all in. a vampire family and the great thing about this game is as you choose your family every family of monsters has different advantages to them so they have all they all have special abilities as the monster type but then each one has special abilities themselves like the daddy the daddy's the strongest of course but the the kid is the fastest so it gets to move more and the intriguing thing about this is it is co-opt because, yeah, sure, you want to kill your, your, your monsters, and, yeah, I want to kill this guy, and yeah, I want to kill this guy, too. But every player has to create a kill order. So if some other monster is trying to kill somebody that you want saved for later because it's, like, third on your kill order, you get to help that college kid defend itself against the monster that's attacking
1: which means you can have monster versus monster
0: right so so monsters help each other but monsters also fight each other and not fight physically but fight as in i'm going to help this kid out by giving mm. him an item to fight this other monster so that i can eat him later instead of being very all right so this is how we're going to kill all the humans You kind of have to have your own game plan, even though y'all do want to work together at certain points. So it's very complex, very fun. I cannot wait to get you, Jason, at game night, playing this game. Uh, Yeah,
1: it sounds like a blast.
0: It is totally a blast. We'll post photos and maybe even some video on our uh, social media pages once I drag Jason out of the house and sit him in front of the, the epic game table. And I wonder, will he be the vampire fa- Probably not. He'll probably be the, the werewolf family. Yeah, that seems like
1: what I would probably gravitate
0: towards. You would probably go for the werewolves. Uh, I enjoy playing the zombies or the Frankenstein mod, or I'm sorry, golems. Sure. But yeah, yeah. Fun game. I recommend it. To anyone who is a, f- a fan of classic horror, modern horror, or any tabletop horror out there, comic book. Comic book. Pictures with
1: words. Vampire the Masquerade the ongoing series we've established that i am not overly big on vampires what um, What? yeah no. but shocking but there is a comic series that uh i have recently discovered that i i kind of got hooked on i picked it up on a lark really It's Vampire the Masquerade. It is loosely based on the RPG of the same name. And it's being put out by the new company, Vault Comics. Hmm. Okay. I ran into issue one, gosh, now I don't remember, but I ran into it somewhere for like a dollar. And I thought, well, I'll give it a shot. For a buck, I'm sure it'll be worth it. Well, the first issue intrigued me enough to pick up the second and third issue that I had found in, in at another shop. And I thought, well, I'll make a, a final decision off of that. Well, I, I, I was intrigued enough that now I will start picking it up regularly. Before I even start talking about this, I, I do want to preface that I have never played the RPG. Nick, I don't know if you have. I know next to nothing about the RPG. So I, I have no idea how well... The comic connects and fits hmm. in the world of the RPG, I assume fairly well, because the back of every issue has character sheets and additional campaign ideas that people can use. Like, there's there's RPG material in the back of each issue that can oh, wow. be used for whatever game it is. So I assume it's fairly well connected, but I, but I don't know.
0: I have not played the RPG. I always wanted to, but it always seemed a little intimidating to me when mm. I was younger. Uh, I was introduced to the concept of it in my late teens, and I I never took the plunge.
1: Mm. Sure, sure. Yeah, I, I never took that plunge either. But what I have found is that the book, the the series, is fairly easy to jump into for those like- you and I, Nick, who don't know much about the game. Okay. Right. Um, you know, I was obviously able to follow it fairly well. It, it has a very Underworld vibe in the sense, I mean, there are no werewolves, so there's not that angle, but in the sense that you have these warring clans mm, okay. of vampires. It is not, I can't really call it like a that kind of leather, cyber, futuristic punk thing that the Underworld series has, which I like by the way, but this is a little bit more uh, grounded, urban, kind of an urban gothic punk oh, okay. feel to it, which is kind of interesting. The other thing that's interesting about it is that there, every issue has two stories. You get two oh. stories in every issue. Now, I'm assuming at some point these two stories are going to converge, but I don't know. In the first story, which is called Winter's Teeth, the first story follows a vampire whose name is Cecily Bain. Cecily is an enforcer, so what she does, is she it's exactly what it sounds like. She's she's the muscle for for her clan, for her group, mm-hmm. and she's in Minneapolis. She's an enforcer in the Minneapolis area. It's interesting to see because she is she's obviously a, as far as vampires go, a fairly young vampire. Because she's taking care of her sister, who, based on the art, I get the impression her sister is maybe in her 70s or 80s. But Cecily looks like she's in her 30s. So, obviously, Cecily has not been a vampire, by vampire standards anyway, for very long. Her sister has dementia. So Cecily is constantly going back and taking care of her sister while also trying to carry out these these orders... From the head of her clan, which is a a female vampire by the name of Prince Samantha Moraine. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing the last name correctly, but she's kind of the big bad, or at least it, it's so it seems. And what occurs is that while there's this seemingly civil war building within the vampires, mm-hmm. there's a young freshly turned vampire named Alejandra who ends up crossing paths with Cecily and Cecily kind of takes her under her wing and is kind of training her, but passing it off as if she's the one who turned her so that she, so that this girl doesn't get taken from her. Everybody's like, Oh yeah, that's, that's your, that's your uh, charge because you turned her even though she didn't. Right. again, not knowing where it's going i have a feeling that there is some sort of ulterior motive from alejandro i have a feeling alejandro is going to end up being like a like a marvel blade character a vampire who is a vampire hunter I, that's where i think that's heading but i don't know we'll see okay okay in the second story the second story is called anarch tales and the second story is following a group of vampires who live outside of the city in a more rural country, county kind of an area. And it's almost a a family of three or four of them and their human Renfield-like character that is with them. Now, what happens is they are going on the run because there are legitimate vampire hunters coming in and finding them and attacking. So so the first couple of issues of their story is basically them on the run, and then you get flashes back to how they returned and what they're all going through. And it's, it's very interesting. Not quite as developed as Winter's Teeth, mm-hmm. you know, because I think, if I remember correctly, I think the Anarch Tales is only about five or six pages as a backup. So oh, okay. you don't get quite okay. as much. My assumption is that they're all going to cross paths at some point. Uh, but but who knows?
0: Now tell me about the art. It's comic books. Tell me about the art, man. I gotta yeah. know about the art.
1: The art is very, very good. I, I really like it. The covers, depending on which variant cover you get, because I think every issue has two covers. But uh, uh, many of the covers are done by David Mack, who... You may, as a comic fan remember as the person who did the second Kevin Smith Daredevil arc way, way back when Kevin Whoa, Smith good, wrote Daredevil.
0: early 2000s Like early 2000s. Like talking, early 2000s.
1: yeah, David Mack did that story, which was the story that introduced echo mm-hmm. to the Marvel Universe. Um, David Mack is beautiful painted style. He, he does quite a bit of the the covers. The, the book is written by three different people. And I think they kind of split around, especially when you got two different stories. Right, uh, Tim Seeley, okay, Teeny Howard, I believe. Teeny Howard her name. Teeny Howard.
0: Holy shit! She works for Marvel. She's writing a bunch of the oh, other yeah stuff.
1: Oh yeah, 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 yeah. She she writes this with her husband Blake. Oh, okay. Wow. Um, All right. So they kind of, uh, the three of them kind of run the show for this. Now, there are a lot of different artists that work on it because there's multiple covers and there's two different stories and, and what have you. I can say that all of the art is perfect for this book. This is not the kind of art that I would want to see in a superhero comic, but much like Ben Templesmith's art for 30 Days of Night, how perfect that was for that story. But yet that art's not going to translate to Superman. You know, Uh, the, the, (laughs) this art, neither stories art is going to translate to every comic style out there, but it, it it does really feel like it is perfect for this book. And it's just really well done. I've not until now, not really collected anything from Vault. Uh, comics they're a fairly new company i think two or three years tops and this book only just started coming out oh i want to say towards the middle of the pandemic so it's fairly recent too i think there's only seven issues out maybe something like that
0: just a little more than a trade paperback
1: yeah there's probably an initial trade paperback edition that has come out with i'm guessing the first six issues it's very good and you know this is coming from someone who is not big on vampires, and I and I like it. It gives us moments to sympathize with the characters, but boy, the vampires are scary. You don't cross them. You don't mess with them.
0: Absolutely. So it,
1: it, it's uh, yeah. I, I really, I really recommend it to anyone who likes horror comics. In fact, in general, I, I've actually quite enjoyed it uh, immensely. So that's where we ask you: Are you reading? Vampire the Masquerade from both Comics? Are you a fan of the RPG? Do you play the RPG and read the comic? And if so, how does how does the comic stack up? We, we want to know all of it. Hit up our social media sites and head on over to our website at 2
0: Well Jason, we haven't sucked. Enough time out of our listeners' lives just yet. There's still more to come from this episode of Talk About Terrifying Blood Suckers. We'll be right back.
1: Everyone knows you'll spend at least double the time you use to create the podcast when editing it. Then there's the control freak factor, the gotta get it right factor, and well, it's time to shove all that out the door and make your podcast soar with the Editor Core. The Editor Core is a talented, experienced team of podcast editors that have edited tens of thousands of hours of podcast content and are ready for yours now. Check out editorcore.com because it's time to make your podcast soar. Editorcore.com. That's editorcore.com. Do it.
0: For most, Friday the 13th means Jason Voorhees. What a lot of people don't know, however, is that there was another Friday the 13th, the television series. Join your podcast hosts, Mike and Nick, as they review the search for cursed antique goods during a perspective review of Friday the 13th, the series. It's the Curious Goods Podcast. Check it out now at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. That's CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls. Did you miss us? We missed you. It's time to uh slip back into the shadows and continue our episode of talk, talk, about, about, talk terrifying. about terrifying blood suckers. Books. <laughs>
1: Nick, as you know, as many people who are listening know, vampire novels are plentiful. (laughs) They are everywhere from Mm. the young adult Twilight and Vampire Diaries to more adult fare to classics like Stoker and, I guess, Anne Rice, which would technically be classic at this point in time.
0: Whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I would think. No. No, wait a minute. You can't consider Anne Rice classic because we were alive when Anne Rice started writing her vampire stuff. That Man, would...
1: that that first vampire oh. novel came out like it's got to be close to 40 years now. So, oh, that, yep. means we're means, that means we're classic. That means we're classic. We are classic. Hey, <laughs> that's a good thing. We are classic. <laughs> we're not old. We're classic. It's not the model. <laughs> it's the make. That's right. So yeah, so they're they're everywhere. But for me, you know, I mean, if if we're gonna talk about what kind of vampire novels really hit with people, man, I, I I gotta go with Stoker's Dracula. As as difficult as parts of it are, you know, it's the granddaddy.
0: Right. Well, I mean, when you say classic, it is a classic, and there Absolutely. are parts that's yeah. kind of hard to read because of the verbiage. Yeah, didn't... because it
1: is the the older English, and so yes, that that does make it difficult at times. Same
0: same difficulty, I feel people modern audiences would get with uh, things like uh, the strange case of Doctor Jekyll sure. and Mister Hyde. But but yeah, I totally I totally agree. Strip away the complexity of a mm-hmm. different age when it was written. Yeah, it is the granddaddy of vampire yeah. novels. Now me, yeah. I'm a sucker. For Vampire, uh-huh. no, yeah. So I would have to say uh, my favorite is by far Stephen King's Salem's Lot.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Now that is a book that I read at least every other year.
1: Oh, really? Now that I didn't know. I yeah. yeah. Know you I, read it that regularly. Okay. It, is,
0: it is one of the few books that I read on a semi-regular basis. Okay, okay. Uh, I remember the first time I actually re- re- read the, the book, it was after I saw Toby Hooper's mini series mm-hmm. which at the time and again young terrified me and then later on in my mid-teens about 15 16 i got my hands on a copy of salem's lot the book and i read that book just to just to set the stage for you not to derail us from our book talk but just to set the stage at this point in time i'm living out in the middle of nowhere in the country the property it's outside of town so at night it's dark you know pitch black and my my grandmother i lived with my grandmother and my grandmother's trailer the front of it in the kitchen area had this gigantic like bay window i mean it was just nothing but glass so you could stare out into the inky blackness mm. if there was no moon out so here i am stupid enough
1: it's like a th- void
0: i know To be reading Salem's Lots with my back to the void. And because the light is on, you've got the tap, tap, tapping of night bugs against the (laughs) glass. So I'm constantly freaking out and turning around, thinking that there is a vampire. There's somebody tap, tap, tapping on the glass. Let us in, Nick. Let us in. (laughs) And the funny thing is, is that after reading the book for the first time, I'm sorry to say Toby Hooper's movie, the interpretation of that film sucks because it is so far away from the book that as a fan, I do not watch that movie as regularly as I used to. Now I own a Blu-ray copy of it, but I also own a copy
1: of the TNT remake that was was years later. I was just going to ask you, I, I've never seen the TNT remake. How does that stack up?
0: It it falls into the... It, it suffers from the update syndrome. Oh, okay. So they update characters for modern day instead of the time period in which it was. Right. They change some of the characteristics of characters to where you're like, well, did you really need to do that to the character? Because that wasn't in the book, and I don't see... Mm. What that brings to the situation, I have my problems with it. Great, a lot of great acting in it, but they take some liberties again. Mm -hmm. So, if I'm going to enjoy Salem's Lot, it'll be the book version. Mm -hmm. But other than that, uh, for me, book wise, I used to be a
1: huge
0: Laurel K. Hamilton, Anita Blake, the Vampire Hunter fan. I remember. I I remember. I was obsessed.
1: I remember. I remember. You even got me to read the first one. I remember uh, you you lent the first one to me. Based here in St. Louis. Yeah, yeah, that's what caught my attention when you right. told me about that. Yeah. yeah,
0: it's it's one of those one of those situations to where that the book series was great until she started listening to, I guess her publisher and her agent. Her books were more popular in Europe, and I may be wrong about this, but this is what I heard. Hmm. Her books were more popular in Europe. Europeans enjoy the sex aspect and not the violence. And that's when she started toning down the violence and started upping the sex. Ah. Uh, and for me, that's when you lose me. Because the character of Anita Blake was this tiny badass necromancer who could kick you five ways to Sunday with her physical abilities but then also the fact that she was packing. Yeah. And they kind of took that away, and I, I dropped out of the series. I dropped out. It's been a long time now. It's been almost,
1: god, almost a decade since I've read a new Anita Blake book. And they're, they're I mean, they're still going. I mean, they they still come out all the time. I, I, I mean, yeah. I can't ima- I can't even tell you how many there are in the series now at this point.
0: I can't believe the character's still alive.
1: Yeah, as long as they're selling, that's you, right, you stay alive. That's right. You can have you can have new books about that as as long as it sells. And speaking of new books. What a segue. There is, what a segue. <laughs> there,
0: <laughs>
1: there is a new vampire book that sounds kind of interesting. No. And it is called The Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires.
0: Interesting um, title. Which is a,
1: yeah, it's a crazy title. It's also written by Grady Hendricks, who, for those of you out there, who know Grady Hendricks. He is the author of the book, My Best Friend's Exorcism. Oh, which yes. we will probably be doing a, a review episode on at some point.
0: Sooner rather than later, I would hope. Yes,
1: yes. He also has a novel out there that I've always wanted to read, too, called Horror Store. And horror...
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the... Uh... It's the like IKEA of horror, yeah. Yeah, it's
1: an IKEA of horror, and it's like, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. Just a, so it looked interesting. Anyway, he's a, he's quite an emerging name in the horror world of literature, and I'd love to um, get him
0: on the show someday.
1: That's right, yeah. Well, he's got this new one, which seems like it might be a play on the murder mystery book series readers that are out there, the book club people, mm-hmm. from what I gather, now I've not read the book myself, but from what I gather, there is a, uh, it is, it's all set in the South and a suburban housewife is part of a book club Okay, and the book club focuses on true crime novels oh. and, and mysteries of, of that sort. At some point, she ends up coming into contact with an actual vampire. Now, because I've not read the book, Mm. I don't know where it goes from there or what happens. From what I understand, it has a lot to do with um, kind of social commentary, from what I gather, of the era in which it's placed. That's what interests me most when I read about it, because the era. Is the '90s now, Nick? Okay. You and I—we okay. were born at the <laughs> tail end of the '70s. Yes, and so yes, sure, we grew up in the '80s, and we are kids in the '80s. But you and I were teenagers for the, the 90s. '90s. Yes, so you know we so we much
0: have, trouble
1: with right? You know. <laughs> oversized corduroy pants and grunge and alternative rock and jean jackets and don't Doc Martens and yeah, you know, the whole, <laughs> the whole bit. So yeah, so I, I'm very interested in checking this book out because it's, it's our era. Absolutely.
0: Well, I don't know about you, but I know that I am dying to dive into all of the available library of Grady Hendrix. And it sounds like, His newest book, Dealing with Vampires, might just have to be reviewed by Two Guys Talking Horror. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for a Cut the Crap Movie Review. Ah, yes, scream for us. Because you're being cut to pieces by H. I <laughs> I want to talk about The Shed. Now, The Shed is, it, technically, depending on who you look at, depending on the release, it was a film that came out in 2019. And I am sad to say that it was one of those films that kind of, because it was released in festivals, but then released... Theatrically slash digitally, it actually missed its chance to be a part of the Spookies.
1: Yeah, it was it was a weird release for it that yeah. just kind of yeah yeah it's it's unfortunate that But it
0: it's a, it. a a vampire horror film, of course, uh, directed and written by Frank Sabatella. And you know how I feel about writers and directors. I, I love the fact that when you write. Uh And then you get to direct it. It's it's, You are getting as Uh close as you possibly can to your vision on the page. And it's actually based, the screenplay is based on a story by Jason Rice. And the film debuted in the film festival circuit in 2019. And, of course, released theatrically for a very limited release. Yada, yada, yada. And then, of course, Thank You Shudder. We get to watch it on Shudder. The premise for the film is two best friends, Stan and Dahmer, deal with bullies all their life. They both come from tragic backgrounds. And when Stan discovers a vampire who is uh, living in his shed, he knows he has to find a way to stop it. But his buddy Dahmer uh, has some ideas... He sees it how you, as an
1: opportunity.
0: Well, right. He does. He does. And, and and therein lies the premise of this film. Now, if you're new to Cut the Crap movie reviews, we only deal in three things. Writing, acting, and the overall production. The writing. And I don't know if you picked this up, Jason, but this film was based in the 80s. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. You you picked it up, too. Yeah, I, I caught that, yeah. Unlike other films that are based in the 80s, this film did not go, hey, we based this shit in the 80s.
1: No, it felt much more natural mm-hmm. as far as that's concerned.
0: To the point to where I kept on going, wait a minute. Why does nobody pulled out a cell phone? Wow, that's a rotary phone. And you start putting the pieces together and you realize, ah, this is a film that is a... Uh, Homage to the great 80s vampire films. Totally on board with that. The characters, the characters that are written here, complex. And I got to tell you, I related to some of these characters. I hated the characters you were supposed to hate. I sympathized with the characters you were supposed to sympathize with. But when it boils down to, it's the vampire story. Never- in this entire film, do we ever say the word "vampire"? There's vampire facts, there's vampire lore, but nobody ever says "vampire."
1: And if I, if my memory serves correctly, you know, the the main character at one point is watching a late night horror show, and it's Roger Corman's The Terror.
0: Yes, which <clears throat> with vampires at all. Yeah. Right. With uh,
1: Jack Nicholson and Boris Karloff. And they they specifically pick a certain scene. The, the scene is written in such a way that when you pull it out of the context of the movie The Terror and just watch that little snippet, it does sound like they're talking about vampires. Right. But even then, especially then, I guess, depending on how you look at it, the, the word vampire is never mentioned.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's something else that I have to point out because most films... Most horror films, when there is a horror movie in the background, they're always playing Night of the Living Dead. Hmm. Because that original film, the copyright was never solidified. So it's public domain. It is public domain. You can play it in the background whenever you want. And I found it refreshing to find a film, a horror film, being played in the background that wasn't Night of the Living Dead.
1: And also public domain. Some of those early Corman films, especially some of the ones the the low, low budget ones with Carl. Oh yeah, yeah. They're they're in public domain. Always great to see something else showcased. And the love
0: story, because let's let's be honest, most stories, if you're if you're going to put pen to paper or whatever, you got a love story. Uh Mm-hmm. That way it appeals to a wider audience. Uh Mm-hmm. I didn't hate this love story nine times out of ten i'm I'm kind of sickened by the love story, and
1: I'm like, no, oh, they
0: really need to do this. This one seemed very organic, and I enjoyed it.
1: yeah, no, there wasn't really any eye roll moments like you would normally get from from that kind of stuff
0: and most importantly, the horror angles of this film script wise I gotta say, it tugged at me. Because it was cheesy when it needed to be cheesy. But horrific and scary when it needed to be horrific and scary.
1: Yeah, I, I, for the most part, I would agree with that. I I did have some issues with dialogue Hmm. that I felt forced things a little too much that made things feel a little too contrived. And, my my issues, I don't want this to come off as, as sounding like I had problems with the script. I didn't. I liked it overall. But the problems that I did have with the film in general, I think primarily came from the script. Hmm. And that doesn't mean okay. that the script was bad. But I think primarily it was the, the dialogue. There was some dialogue that did not flow convincingly enough for me and there was some there was some timeline stuff that I I had difficulty with that as a homage played just fine as a modern day deconstruction and homage to a certain type of film I thought "Mm, another rewrite probably could have helped that
0: moment Mm. I did not care for the number of times characters had a countdown Mm. that happened a lot and the thing is is that yeah, i true. don't know if that was the writer going i'm gonna poke fun at how everybody in the 80s used to give a countdown before they were going to whoop their ass or something like that
1: yeah that's true it's a good point there was I think like you pick up on that
0: there were like five different countdowns and i'm like yeah. are we trying to make a point here or did we just are we padding for time
1: yeah and actually, now that you point that out, and I guess this is probably also an extension of the, the dialogue thing that I was saying before, there were other times where it felt as if the, the actors were given a couple of lines that they had to make sure to say, but the rest mm. of that particular scene was maybe improv And sometimes it was done well, and sometimes it, was, it wasn't. Now, I'm not saying that's what they did. Um, I'm just saying that there were times where it felt that way. The only other
0: thing to, uh, script-wise that I would complain about is literally the last minute of the film. Mm. I didn't understand that. I'm like, what? Did I fall asleep at some point in time? I don't remember falling asleep. I was enjoying this film. Yeah, And the last minute of the film, I was like, huh? So for me, star rating-wise, I would have to give the writing three-fourths of a star.
1: Jason, what about you? For me, screenplay wise, I think I'm gonna I am gonna have to do a half a star.
0: Alright. Well, you heard it. Half a star from Jason. Acting. Now anybody who has listened to our show enough knows we have talked in nauseum of how you and I, amateur filmmakers, mm-hmm. actors, writers, we've done it a little bit of everything you can turn a halfway decent script into something very special if you have
1: talented actors i to say and you can take you can take an amazing script and turn it into crap with bad actors with bad it does actors. go the other way exactly
0: yeah. <laughs> and where this film was concerned i can't complain about the acting i can't either because very early on i'll use this as an example so the very first scene is vampire attacks the character that's going to be our vampire antagonist for the film all right and then the next scene is our main character being woken up by his mom and it's this very stereotypical hey it's saturday you can't sleep in it's pancake day and and at this point in the movie i'm like wow this is this is really cheesy and i don't like this 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 sucks (laughs) and it keeps going until you get this oh shit, this is a dream to set you up for the main character's life was this way, then bad shit happened, and now here we are when he wakes up from his nightmare. So we're we're given this ability to see how things were and now thrust it into reality. And I, I gotta say, J.J. Warren, who plays Stanley, or Stan to his friends, He's the one who carries this movie. It's all about him and dealing with things that are going around him. And I got to give him credit. So, so the acting in this film, uh, spot on, in my opinion, I could go on for every character, even, even the ones I found annoying, even the ones who have very small screen time, it seems like they, they, they do their part. Yeah. So I am going to grace this with a full star rating.
1: Yeah, I would, I would have to agree with that. I think that you know, you know, again, we're not, you're not going to get any, you're not getting anything like the Royal Shakespeare Academy,
0: well, uh, yeah, performance-wise.
1: Right. But, but you don't expect that from a film like this. That's not what you're going in for. So, for the kind of film that it is, for what is expected of this film, yeah, I think a full star. Production.
0: Well, it all boils down to this. We've lumped production as, you know, the way the camera works, the way the lighting is done, the special effects. We've lumped it all together because essentially when you boil it down, the director does have the control over all of that stuff. So production for me, I got to say the mixture and it, there wasn't a lot of practical effects, but the mixture of practical effects and then the subtle cgi i i gotta say i loved the effects given because it's another example of show just enough Mm -hmm. you show just enough you don't have to have it in the (laughs) pun intended broad daylight to be able to be scary it's the shortcuts it's the shadows it's it's everything used where the makeup, the special effects, the camera work, the setting, it all worked very well
1: for me. I think the the biggest takeaway, I mean, I I, I absolutely agree with you on all of that. I thought that the makeup and all of that was amazing. I love the effects and, and the marriage of the practical and a and little bit of digital. For me, and and something that is becoming more and more of a focus for me as i get older apparently is the camera the camera work and the lighting this is a film you're talking made in the last two three years Mm -hmm. i didn't look i didn't see what kind of camera they were using i didn't i didn't see what format it was shot in or, or anything like that but i have to assume that based on the the look of it that it was pretty high Mm-hmm. And yet it did not look like it was video that was manipulated to look like film. As, as so often, low-budget films will look. And that's not a fault of the film or the team or the production crew or anything like that. That's no. just more often than not, if you're shooting with a digital video camera, it's still video. No matter what you do to make it, and you can make it look really nice, and it can look damn close to film, but it just doesn't. And um, this was one of the closest I've seen. There was some lighting, there was texture in the lighting that Mm -hmm. I I thought, you know, is something that is often forgotten about in film. I mean, you could see the character, you know, lives in kind of a, a rundown dirt road of sorts, Mm -hmm. you know, with this field behind his house. So naturally in a setting like that, there is going to be dust kicked up just by walking around because that's, that's that type of land. You see the dust particles in the beams of light coming through windows. Those are details that oftentimes smaller budget films or low budget films disregard or financially can't do this had it. it it felt right it felt real even though it was probably anything but i mean all of that stuff is probably manufactured <laughs> the dust and everything the way the camera moved and the way it showed you just what it needed to show you it, i was really impressed with the production value as a whole on the film
0: so for me I have got to give this film
1: a full star for production. Yeah, same here. Absolutely. 100%.
0: Final thoughts. Let's boil it down for our listeners. Uh, It seems like there's a slight difference in our star rating. Uh, For me, where the shed is concerned, uh, the shed boils down to a two and three-fourth star rating. That's pretty high. And I think for Jason, it's a two and a half
1: star rating. Mm-hmm. So not, not that far off, not that far off. No, I, yeah, I, I think you, I think you definitely enjoyed it more than I did, but that doesn't mean that I didn't. I, oh, I, right. yeah, exactly. I had fun with it. I, I really did enjoy it and I would recommend it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I would recommend this to anybody who enjoys horror movies. I would recommend this to anybody who loves vampire movies. I would recommend this to anybody who enjoys nostalgia trips Mm -hmm. because even though you don't realize it the shed does take you back to a simpler time Mm -hmm. and that's where we ask you have you seen the shed and if so what were your thoughts on it what would you rate this film star rating wise by our criteria? Let us know. Head on over to our website at twoguystalkinghorror.com Fill out the web form and give us your cut-the-crap movie review of The Shed. Alright, Jason. Well, I see that the fake sunrise is is slowly coming up, which would force us into our caverns, our coves, Back our into caves.
1: Back our- our coffins of, of the coffins. covered with dirt of our homeland.
0: Yes. Or, or you know, nice soft satiny silk. Yeah. That that's too. that's how I like it. I like my coffin filled with satiny silk. So until next time, I have been one of your hosts,
1: Nicholas J. Hearn. I'm your other host, Jason Cantini.
0: And remember, folks, don't be afraid of the dark.
1: Be afraid of what's in the dark you have successfully survived this episode of two guys talking horror thank you for listening be sure to connect with us through all of our social media outlets a podcast.
0: I'm just noticing how little my wave file is compared to yours. Oh. Genetics. (laughs) It ain't
1: about the size. It's about how much it moves. Uh, Well, again... (laughs)